by way of sort of setting up an introduction, this will be the longest thing you'll ever hear from me this week, I promise, okay? So I don't know if I'm going to get antsy when the clock gets going past 35 minutes or whatever. This will be the longest thing you, you'll ever hear from me, but because it, we've got to talk a little bit about what we're going to be talking about the rest of this week, and um, Britton and I will be talking about what it means, surprise, surprise, to be fit for service, or how the gospel fits us for service, and to get at this, we'll be looking at a week all we get a range of questions such as, what is service all about? What does someone who is fit for service look like? Why do we serve? What's the motive behind that? And why is Christian service any different? And we'll be looking at that with these, looking at these questions with these two assumptions in mind this week. And that first assumption is this. You're here. You're in this room. You're on this retreat. You're at this camp because... Maybe you have said this, but somebody has at least said this about you, that you have leadership capabilities. I don't know if you knew that. It's the first time you've heard that. Um, that's an assumption we were making, that, that you have leadership capabilities, that, that somewhere along the line, somebody has looked at you and said, you know what, people, people listen to you. People want to follow you. Um, you're going to be a leader. All right? Leadership, leadership capabilities, whatever that really is, whatever that means, we are going to try to figure out what that means as a Christian. But that's my, one, of, one of our two assumptions about you this week, that, that you have leadership capabilities. The second assumption is this, that somewhere along the lines of your life, you have uh, decided to make a profession uh, that Jesus is Lord. Right? You've decided to follow him. Okay? You are a Christian. Right? That's an assumption we're making. And because we are assuming that that is true, because you have decided to be on Team Jesus, if you will, you uh, have also decided to take orders from him. Okay, so what that means, what our, what our question really becomes is, how has Jesus taught us and told us to lead? And if you've been around the church at all, leadership tends to look a lot like service in the Christian church. That's the very short end of it. Um, to get there, to get this question of service, and this willingness to serve others, to get there, Britt and I decided to sort of come at each talk this week by first exposing a myth about service, okay? And the myth that I really want to hit at this morning, and Britt's going to hit at the second one tonight, is that you are fit for service because of your ability. I'm going to nuance that a little bit. You're fit for service because of your personality, of your potential, of your experiences. You're fit for service because of your talent, right? Um, a lot of the world says uh, it's service, it really successful service has so much to do with what you can produce, what, what, what you have ability in doing. And I'm saying that they did as it pertains to Christian service. And I want to sort of explode that myth that you're fit for service because you're built to others. Chapter 5, chapters 1 through 11. And having said that, why don't we turn there, take your Bible. Let's go ahead and give our attention now to the, to the reading of God's Word. It's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Because on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. Jesus, by the lake. Jesus saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, 
washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, quote, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything, and they followed him. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks to be able to come to such a beautiful place, this camp, and this part of the country, these mountains, and I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted, that we would see how it speaks of your just creative nature, that it speaks towards your goodness for us. And what I pray for this morning as we worship you and as we look, listen and hear from your word, that you would do something that you promised to do, and that is that you would give us your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts to make them as good soil so as the word goes out into good soil, that you would produce a fruit and that we would leave here changed people. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. My... Going into my sophomore year of high school, I, I changed high schools, and I went um, to a high school in Chatt Chattanooga, and I wasn't much of an athlete, but I loved to play sports. I know you might think differently by looking at this amazing frame up here. <laughs> so I set out to go to this new school, and if you, if you transfer to a new school in, in your high school years, it's pretty daunting, um, and, and my goal was to make the basketball team. And a long story short, as I made the basketball team, and I played varsity for that school until I graduated. And I'm, I don't know, close to 15 years removed from high school. And one of the most fondest memories that I have of my time in high school was being a part of that team, being a part of that, that squad, the basketball team, and all those things. And as I've sort of begun to, to think about those things and think about what made that actually, actually uh, special, um, you know, I began to think, you know, was it... Was it because of my talent? Was it because of my abilities to play basketball? Um, and the short answer to that is no, it wasn't. Um, because see, we had this coach. We had this coach, and his name was Coach Clark. And this guy played basketball in college, and he was just an amazing coach, but he had, he had an ability to get every single thing out of you that you didn't even know was there. He had this ability, mainly, uh, mainly driven by fear. Like, this guy had the darkest hair. He had these, this thick, black, dark mustache. He had these black eyes that when you stared into them, you knew that you were staring directly into the bowels of hell. <laughs> biblical. I'm not cussing. That's a biblical word. He just terrified you. And I don't know if that was the motivation or whatever it was. That's what forced us to make us do things we never 
never thought we could do. We, we, we were not athletic. Um, and so as I think about what made that time special, what made that great, had not so much to do with my ability or my talent. Like I said, you had to be able to dribble. Dribble. Like be able to shoot. I could shoot a little bit. Um, but it really wasn't that. It was who I was with. It was being with Coach Clark. It was being with, with him. It was almost as if Coach Clark didn't pick me to be on that team because of my talent, because of my ability, because of my potential. Rather, he knew that I would have ability and I would have potential because I would be with him. And guys, the Christian story, the Christian life is, is very, very similar to this. Right? Jesus doesn't pick any of us to follow him, and we're going to see this in Peter's life this morning, because of our talent and ability. I don't know if that is depressing to some of you this morning. I hope it's not. Rather, we have talent and we have ability. We're going to do amazing things in our life because we are going to be with Jesus. He gives us those things. Um, this, this week, I'm going to kind of be pulling from Peter because I think he's such a great one to look at. He has one of the most, he is one of the most transparent characters throughout the entire Bible. At least the New Testament, put it that way. And other than Jesus, we know more about Peter than any other person in the New Testament. And you just get to see uh, so much of who this person is. And so I'm going to kind of travel along with him. Britton might, might, might as well. He might be off the path here and there. Um, I think he's a great one to start with. Uh, the question before us this morning is we think about this idea that Jesus uh, doesn't pick us because of our talent and ability, but that we have ability and talent because we're with him. The question that we're after this morning is who, then, who is fit for service? And you've already heard the answer. It's the person who's with Jesus. And to get at that, I really want to look at three points. Surprise, surprise, if you're a Presbyterian. <laughs> and to sort of summarize these three points, it's, I want to look at the challenge. I want to look at the reality. I want to look at the change. The challenge who you, and the way, but that is who, who you think you are. That's our challenge. Who you think you are. The reality, who we really are. And the change, who Jesus makes us. I'll preface all this with this. My first point is way longer than the other two. So just bear with me. Okay? All right. Go back to Luke. By the time we get to this text in Luke, Peter has been with Jesus for almost a year. And it's really important to really uh, hear that and know that. As you look and digest and understand what's going on in this passage, he's been with Jesus for almost a year. And as the text says, Jesus has begun to gather crowds. He's begun to uh, become popular, if you will. And people are starting to gather around him because they wish to hear him speak. And so this one particular day, he decides to get a boat and all the boats are out at sea. Uh, or at least all the fishers are, are cleaning their nets because they've been out at sea. And there's one boat there and it's Simon Peters and he asks Simon, hey, get in here with me. Let's go push out a little bit so I can use this boat as a pulpit and, and speak to these people, sort of like how I'm speaking to you. And so Jesus finishes up talking to them, as the text says, and, but he's not finished. Uh, it goes on to say, when he had finished, Jesus seemed to have something else in mind for Peter. And he asked him to take the boat out and to let down his nets for a catch. Look at verse 5. This gives us Peter's response. As Jesus asked him to do this, Peter responds and says, Master, we toiled here all night and took nothing. But at your word, or if you say so, I will throw and let down the nets. 
People rarely say no to Jesus when he asks them to do something. You ever notice that in the Bible? People rarely say no. Peter comes pretty close here. He comes pretty, pretty close. He is, and I'll use this word, reluctant. You've probably heard that before. He's reluctant to do what Jesus has asked him to do. And he's reluctant to do this for a very good reason. See, Peter is a professional fisherman. This is what he knows. Like This is his thing. This is his expertise. He doesn't have degrees. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have affluence. He knows fishing. And he's been out here all night, all day, and he's been fishing, and he's caught nothing. And you can almost imagine that the only thing that he wants to do at this point is just clean up the nets, put the boat away, go home, get some dinner, eat, and maybe try again tomorrow. He is reluctant. Master, we toiled here all night and caught nothing. Have you ever experienced this type of reluctance? Have you ever been in a place where somebody has asked you to do something? Maybe it's your parents or your teacher or your coach or, um, I don't know, maybe your pastor. And they've asked you to do something and you're very reluctant to do so. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I'll tell you. This happens to me all the time as a pastor. I get tons of people that come up to me and tell me all kinds of cool and great new ways to reach kids, college students at the University of Alabama. And it drives me crazy. Most of the time, it's because they have no, no experience with college ministry whatsoever. But they have all these wonderful ideas about how to do this, about how to do ministry. And all I can really think to say about them, well, actually, before that, I get to the, get thinking, why is this so frustrating to me? Why is it when people do come and ask me uh, and tell me, give me these ideas, why is it so frustrating? And it's for this very reason. It's, it's an attack on my pride. It's attacking my pride. College ministry, as I said, is supposed to be my expertise. That's what I went to school for. We're all going to school for something. In many ways, in one sense, it's sort of who I am. This is my job. This is my living. It's what I love to do. And when somebody comes in and tries to tell me, here's a great idea, you should try this, and I just want to sit there and look at it and say, look, you go do what you want to do, and why don't you leave this ministry thing to the pros? pride. You can hear it's disgusting, right? Look, the same is for Peter in this very moment. She's just asked him to do something that he's been doing his entire life, that he's been doing all morning, and he's caught nothing. He is reluctant to do what Jesus is asking because it's attacking who Peter is. Fishing is what Peter was good at. And now all of a sudden there's this teacher sort of, sort of challenging his expertise. It's almost as if you can hear Peter thinking to himself, you know, Jesus, you are an expert at religion. You're a great teacher. And when you start talking about those things, you school all of us. But when it comes to fishing, with all due respect, let's just leave this to the professionals here. All right? Sort of the, that's the aroma you get at this moment in this text. This is Peter's pride. Now, you might be thinking at this moment, you know, maybe Peter is right. Maybe, maybe he's right. Humor me here for just a second. After all, he is the professional. Why wouldn't you listen to him? And why wouldn't, if you were the professional, if you were Peter, why wouldn't you say something at this moment? Because after all, don't you know what you're doing? Makes sense. It's fair to say that. But I want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember, what is Jesus trying to get Peter to do? 
He's trying to get Peter to follow him. Y'all know this story. And if you don't, you heard it at the end of the story. He's trying to get Peter to follow, to follow him. He's trying to get him to trust him. And one of the things that he knows about Peter is that he's never going to be able to do this unless he's able to get over himself. Unless he's able to deal with who he really thinks that he is. And this is where pride shows up. And the same is true for us in this room. You and I will never trust Jesus if we don't begin to deal with who we think that we are. And if you're trying to figure out who is it that I think that I am, find those places when they are challenged, when they are pressed, and you, and you feel that sense of pride sort of well up inside of you. See, pride is this fascinating thing. People have written books on it for years. It's you know, sort of this, the culmination of all, all sins sort of come out from this, right? Um, pride has this competitive spirit, if you will, that seems to raise its head whenever someone challenges what we think we're good at. Look, when people used to challenge me in basketball in high school, really anything for that matter, like ping pong, whatever it is, there was a natural competitive instinct to want to dominate that person. What is that? <laughs> right? And I love competition. Um, it's because of my pride. And see, this shows up in a lot of areas of life, and all, you know, I'm not trying to say that all competitive spirit isn't or is bad. I'm not trying to say that. But here's the question. What makes our pride, the competitive spirit that you and I experience, what makes it bad is this one thing. If the place being challenged is where you find your identity. I know that's a big word. If the place that you point to to say, look, this is how valuable I am. Look, this is where I find worth. That's your identity. That, that place that's being challenged that's when you will experience that pride sort of come up and expose itself. And in high school, guys, I definitely looked to sports. That's my ability to play and be on a part of this team as a place to find worth and value. And it doesn't just have to be in sports, guys. I mean, academics, I know for a fact that there are many of you in this room who look to your GPA, your grades, to give you worth and value. To this is what I'm about. Some of you, it's your looks. Some of you, it's your families and your wealth. Some of you, it's your affluence. Some of it's your popularity, your personalities. This is what you go to. This is what, 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 what makes me who I am. And that's where you're going to find yourself welling up in pride, whatever that's challenged. Peter, no doubt, is the same way. At this moment, he has his identity wrapped up and his ability to fish. This is what he knows. Fishing is... Life for him. All right, time out for just a second here. Why am I making this point about pride? I thought we were going to talk about service. I thought we were going to talk about leadership. What is this deal about pride? What's the big deal? I want you to notice something. Do you notice that in all these examples that we've talked about so far about pride, that pride is directly connected to one thing, and that is ability. In other words, as people, we will always want to connect who we are, that's identity, with what we can do. Ability. Have you ever noticed when grown-ups or your parents introduce themselves, like the first, second question out of their mouth is, what do you do? Some of you have been on short-term mission trips, right? You go on enough of them, you actually just have to go on one to figure this out. What's the first question people ask you when you come back? What'd you do? Right? It is ingrained in our culture. 
And because it's a part of our culture, it's a part of who we are, we look to our identity and we attach it to our ability. Our identity is what we're able to do. And, and, and that's who we say that we are and that's where we find our worth and our value. Now, here's the point. What happens when our ability, when your talent, when your experience even, is what makes you fit for service? Service becomes driven by pride. In other words, y'all, your service, your ability to lead other people becomes all about you. Your service towards others goes from being this selfless act of joy to becoming competitive acts of self-gratification. This is why the saying, you are fit for service because of your ability, because of your talents, because of your potential, is a myth. It's false. It's not true. Because if you think that that is what makes you fit for service, you will destroy others in the name of service. Pride, as C.S. Lewis says, leads to every other vice. I love C.S. Lewis. It is the complete anti-God state of mind, he says. It, pride, is competitive by nature. That is why it goes on and on. If I am a proud man, then as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful, more richer, clever than I, he is my rival and my enemy. What Lewis is saying is that if being fit for service is all about and attached to your ability, to your talent, to be a good leader, your pride to be the best will move everyone else to be either your rival or your enemy. Think about it for a second. Those who might threaten you because of their talent will be your rival. I hated, and I use that sparingly, Tyler Bradshaw in high school. You don't know Tyler Bradshaw. Tyler Bradshaw was on the basketball team. Surprise, surprise. And he wasn't one of the starters. And the reason I hated Tyler Bradshaw is because he was the first off the bench before me. I was friends with all the starters. They, I, I liked all of them. Why? Because they weren't a threat to me. My real enemy, my rival, was Tyler. Because I knew I, in my mind I was better than him. And he was only getting off the bench before I was because, I don't know, he played with the coach's kids one time. I was something. I made up something, right? I, he, he no longer was my teammate. He was my rival. This is what C.S. Lewis is saying. Those who might threaten you because of their talent will become your rivals. At the same time, those you serve who don't, and I love this one almost just as more, who don't recognize your talent or your ability will actually become your enemies. Why? Because they won't affirm who you think that you are. And guys, everybody in here, there's a part of you that thinks you are the greatest thing to ever happen to this world. Because your mama's told you, and your grandmother's told you, right? <laughs> when you come to college, hopefully you get involved with RUF, we'll work that out. <laughs> but that's why those people will become your enemies. The challenge that Peter faces and the challenge that all of us face today is not whether someone in this room has more ability or talent. It's not whether someone actually in this room will outperform someday. It's not even whether somebody in this room will fail to perform. Some of you, that's a huge fear. Rather, the challenge for you 
is you. It's your pride. Being fit for service is not about your ability. It can't be. It has to be about something else. And the first step in recognizing what the real challenge is, is that it's you. It's your pride. It's who you think that you are. Apart from Jesus, that is the challenge. All right, well, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? You begin to deal with the reality of who you really are. And this gets me to my second point. And I'll exhale, first point, over, longest one. Second point is the reality of who you are. The reality of who, and we're looking at this by seeing the reality, the reality of who Peter is, and the reality of who Peter is, is that he is a sinner. He's broken. He's incomplete. All right? Verse 5 ends with Peter, for whatever reason, going along with Jesus' request to throw his nets over. Now, I might be even be inclined to imagine... I'll do a lot of speculating here. I don't want to get charges put against me. But I might be inclined to imagine that one of the reasons he did this was to prove to Jesus that he knew what he was talking about. How delighted Peter would be to throw his nets over at his master's request only to pull them up completely empty. But that's not what happened. Look at verses 6 and 7 here. Verse 6 and 7 say, When they had let down their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, can you imagine their reactions? To come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats, not just one, but two boats, so that they began to sink. This is ridiculous. I want you to enter into the humor here of what's going on here. All right, we'll come back to this in a second. It's, a, it's ridiculous, but it's also amazing. It's absolutely amazing. First, think about this for a second, and I really do want you to enter in this. What, what would have been your response if you were Peter in this boat with Jesus, and this is what happens? You want to know what my response would have been? I would have hired Jesus right then and there to come work for me and my fishing company. <laughs> we would have had the most lucrative fishing business ever. <laughs> work for about five to ten minutes a day. I tell Jesus to go out there and do that thing, come back, done. <laughs> oh, was that Peter's response? I don't know if that's your response or not, but was that Peter's response? No, it wasn't Peter's response. He didn't have business or profits on the mind. In fact, he couldn't even see the fish. All he could see was Jesus. Look at verse 8. But when Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying these words, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What? I'll tell you, Peter is confronted with the reality of who he is. He is a sinful man in his own words. He's broken. He's incomplete. And in so doing, he's gone from being this very prideful person to being humbled. Why? Because this is what happens, y'all, the closer you get to Jesus. The closer every single one of us gets to Jesus, the more we are forced to change. For some of us in this room, that scares us to death. Why? Why would being close to Jesus, though, cause you to become humble? Why would that cause you to change? And the answer to that is because you are confronted with who you really are. Y'all, Jesus is holy. He is perfect. 
right? And when you stand next to somebody who is holy and perfect, you begin to figure out really quickly who you're not, right? I'll stick with basketball here. Sorry for the sports illustrations. When I made varsity team in high school, I thought I was pretty good. But then I played against a guy named Vincent Yarborough. This is 1997, 98. Maybe you don't know who he is. But Vincent Yarborough was incredible. He played for Cleveland, just outside Chattanooga. And in this particular game, um, <clears throat> Vincent Yarborough dunked over my head. His butt came down on the back of my head. <laughs> you want to know how that feels? As you try your best to get out of the way, but you can't as comes right down the back of your head. Um, Needless to say, I was confronted with some areas of my game that needed improvement. (laughs) But in other words, I was was humble. How could you not be? What's causing Peter to see who he really is in this moment isn't his talent for fishing or his lack thereof. It's who he really is. It's his sin. It's his imperfection. Look again at verse 8. He says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. Depart from me. See, he knows he doesn't deserve to even be in his presence. When Vincent Yarbrough dunked over me, there was a part of me that felt, I don't deserve to be on the same court as this person. And then he went on to college, and he went pro, and I really realized I did not deserve to be in the presence of this person. It's the same exact reaction that Peter is experiencing right now. I do not deserve to be in the presence of this person, Jesus. Depart from me. The same thing that's causing Peter to see who he really is is the same thing that's going to cause you to see who you really are. Guys, we all have sin. And because we all have sin, we are all in the same boat. And I'll be honest with you, that right there is going to be the number one thing that's going to allow you to go and serve other people the way Jesus calls you to serve them. More on that on Wednesday. I have one question of application before we go to the last point and we're done. I wanted to ask you this as I was thinking about this on the flight over here. How many of you in this room are either avoiding who you are or dealing with who you are? How many of you are actually avoiding who you are or dealing with who you are? But I thought, man, that's a deep question. Pretty intense. Wait till college, right? But in all seriousness, I do hope that that is something that you are thinking through as you read Scripture and you're being confronted with who you are as Scripture tells you who you are. And I hope that this week that happens. But let me rephrase it this way, and I'll say this. Your ability to lead others, and I know that that, uh, that rings in your ear, but this is so true. Your ability to lead others is correlated to your ability to know who you are and who you are not. That's the God's honest truth. How are you doing figuring this out? And here's a clue. Who are you letting in to tell you? Let me implore you this morning to take this week to begin dealing with the reality of who you are as Scripture reveals it. Who you are and who you are not. Because, guys, that is somebody I want to follow. Now, 
how do we do that? How do I begin to deal with who I really am? And guys, this is the beauty of the text. Here comes the paradox of Christianity, okay? How do I begin to deal with who I really am? You don't. Jesus does. What? You don't. Jesus does. This is the change, y'all. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he changes you. I said earlier, being fit for service is not about your ability. It can't be. It must be about something else. What is it? What is it? It's about this. It's about who you are with. It's about who you are with. This is the starting point for learning what biblical leadership and service is all about. Being fit for service begins with being with Jesus. He is the one who makes you fit for service. Do not look at any other attribute of your life apart from being with Jesus. Why? Because everything is about who he is. And I just want to reread to you that text in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Listen to this. And as you listen to this, well, just listen to this. Okay. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is the person who's in the boat right now with Peter. Do you get that? This is why it's so important. This is why this is the starting point for service. It is all about him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the, first, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You are with the one whom all things were created through and for him. Jesus never picks us because of our ability. We have ability because we are with him. Do you see that? And Peter is demonstrating this right here before our eyes. Come back to this text one last time and look at this story. Jesus picking Peter has nothing to do with his ability to fish. Don't miss the humor in this, guys. Okay? This enormous catch, as I said earlier, is ridiculous, but it's aimed directly at Peter. All right? Yeah, Peter has a willingness to throw his nets over. That's great. This text isn't saying that if you just have a willingness to go follow Jesus, that he's going to fill your nets like this. That's not what this is about. This is directly aimed at Peter. He's trying to get his attention. You might even say that he's trying to catch Peter. And the way that he does it is this. He says, Peter... This isn't about who you are. A professional fisherman, no fish. It's about who I am. Nets full, two boats about to sink. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Do you see that? Jesus didn't just fill Peter's nets. He filled two boats to the point that they almost sank. Why? Because it's not about who Peter is. It's about who Jesus is. It's about being with him. And guys, that is beautiful. That's worth getting excited about. That's worth believing. That is Christianity. A story that is caught up in what Jesus is doing for those that he loves. And he loves you. Could you enter into that story? Could you get in that boat with him? And trust him. 
This is what changes Peter. This is what will make him fit for service in Jesus' kingdom, not his ability, but who he is with. And that is what is going to change you as well. And it's going to allow you to get over yourself so that you can actually begin to see other people and go out and serve them. A couple of quick questions of application, and then we're done. One, as a Christian, I want you to think about this. As a Christian, if being with Jesus isn't, if being with Jesus is not what qualifies you to lead, if it's not the starting place for being fit for service this week and when you lead, if it's not the place you go to in order to remind yourself that this is what gives me worth, that this is what gives me value, if it's not Jesus, who or what is it? You've got to figure that out. If you leave doing anything this morning, leave with your assumptions about what qualifies you to lead or makes you fit for service at the door. And come back to this boat. Return to this boat if you have to. And know that it is all about him. About being with him. If being with Jesus isn't what qualifies you to lead, if it's not the starting place for being fit for service, what is it for you? My second question is this. Ask yourselves, if you know the Lord, if you're a Christian in this room and you know the Lord, how then am I changing as someone who is getting close to Jesus? That's a scarier question. See, the closer we get to Jesus, as I said, the more we are forced to change. How are you changing as you're getting close to Jesus? In other words, guys, if you're going to church every Sunday, that's a wonderful thing to do. If you're doing your quiet times every morning, that's a wonderful thing to do. If you're in Sunday school... If you're coming on really cool retreats out in places like Colorado, that's a wonderful thing to do. But if you aren't changing, if you're not being changed, something is wrong. And look, don't get all paranoid about this. I'm not talking about you need to see some serious changes by the time you walk out this door. That might happen to some of you. Go easy on yourself here. Six months, a year, two years. That's how sanctification works itself out. I'm trying to limit the Holy Spirit, but are you allowing people to come into your life and ask you and say, this is what I see about you. You know what? Six months ago, you would have flipped out at this situation, but you've demonstrated so much more patience right now. Why is that? Maybe it's because you're finding more of who you are in Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. How are you changing as someone who is getting closer to Jesus? Because if you're not changing... Chances are you've made Christianity and all that that it entails about you and not about who Jesus is. Well, this morning we've seen the challenge. We've seen who we think that we are. We've seen the reality, really, who we really are. And we've seen the change, how we change by being with Jesus. And we've looked at that question, who is fit for service and who is? It's the person who is with Jesus. May this be your starting point. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we again give you thanks for your word in Luke. Um, We pray, Lord, that you would do uh, a miracle in softening hearts to begin to see your truth, to see who you are, to see that not just service, all that we are begins by your call, begins by being with you. That that may be enough. 
that we may find our value and our worth in that we may begin to wrestle with who we think that we are by being confronted with who we really are. Would that send us to your cross and nowhere else? So thankful that you have mercy on people like ourselves. Would you glorify yourself through that process? Would you glorify yourself through this week as we interact, as we dialogue, as we have fun, as we eat? And we share in that experience and that worship of who you really are. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.